Welcome to the Vintage Church NOLA podcast. Vintage Church is a multi-church, multi-city movement of truth, love, and community. For information, visit vintagechurchmovement.com. Here is this week's message. Hey, welcome to Vintage Church. If I've never met you before, my name is Dustin Turner and I serve as the lead pastor of Vintage Church. I'm excited today because we are in our deep and wide 2021 vision and we are looking at quarter three's wide habit of generosity. We kicked off deep and wide at the very beginning of the year. And one of the things that we did is we looked at the life of Jesus from the Gospel of Luke. And here's what we found. Jesus modeled the rhythm of the Christian life. He would go deep by retreating for intimacy with the Father, but he would come out of that by going wide, being released to minister to people. And so from Jesus' ministry, here's what we say about Vintage Church. Vintage Church will grow deep by first focusing on who we're becoming in Jesus, And then second, we'll grow wide by focusing on who we are inviting into Jesus. So quarter one, we had that introduction, and then we looked at the deep spiritual habit of crafting a rule of life and the wide spiritual habit of evangelism. In quarter two, we looked at the deep habit of silence and solitude, and we looked at the wide habit of service. Last week, We looked at the deep habit of Bible reading and prayer, and today, like I said, we're looking at the wide habit of generosity. When we get into quarter four in the month of October, we're going to be looking at the deep habit of community and the wide habit of hospitality. We have a ton of resources on our website. You can see the link to our deep and wide page on the screen. I would encourage you to go there and check out resources. Also, hopefully you have one of these guidebooks. We're creating one of these every quarter for you. Place for your sermon notes, v-group discussion, practice, reflection. There's an article. This month's article is about what do you do when your habits aren't working anymore. So all of that's in the booklet. If you want to, you can turn to page 12, and that's where you're going to find today's sermon notes as we look at the topic of generosity. also want to encourage you, on our website, we have a ton of resources, books, and other things that we're recommending with this series that you definitely want to check out as you go deeper. Now, here's the thing. I'm sure many of you recognize that when we talk about generosity, what we're going to be talking about is money. More often than not, generosity is tied to money. Now, not always. You can think about generosity with your entire life, your energy, your focus, your possessions. But we're going to be talking about money. Why? Because money matters. Now, I know that there are a lot of people, when the church starts to talk about money, they get uh, either uneasy or they get angry because all the church wants is your money. <laughs> I get that, right? But, but here's what I want you to think about. It's really, it's about more than money. Now, yes, number one, many of us, if we're honest, have not heard the church or anyone else really talk about money and get to the heart of of money because that's what this is really about. What we're really wanting to do is why does the Bible, why do the Christian scriptures talk about money? 
Why did Jesus talk about money? Because it's more than just money. It's more than just the paper that you're holding. It's more than just the coins in your pocket. It's more than just the card in your wallet. See, money gets at the heart of who we are. Money pulls at our heartstrings. Money drives us. Money challenges us. For many of us, we're frustrated by money. So what does the Scriptures tell us? And how can we cultivate a spiritual habit of generosity? Because everybody, in, to some degree or another, wants to be generous. And if you look at these scriptures, from Genesis to Revelation, what you are going to find is that we are called, as not only Christians, but humans, to be generous. So we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you're new to the Bible, that's towards the back of the book. That is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to his protege, Timothy. And if you're taking notes, this is in your booklet. Here's what I want you to see. Here's the big idea. We can go wide. We can practice that spiritual discipline. We can reach other people when we see money as God's good gift to generously share with others. We can go wide when we see money as God's good gift to generously share with others. So let's look at, we're going to just read three verses. 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 through 19. Here's what it says. Paul writes this, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty or proud, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on who? God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Thus, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Now, this comes at the very end of this short letter, and you've got to understand what's going on. Number one, in Timothy's context, there were false teachers who were teaching, and the reason they were teaching is they were wanting to get rich. They were asking for people's money so that they could be wealthy and they could be rich. In our current context, that's health and wealth, that's prosperity gospel. People that are begging you to send them their money and they'll you know, bless you and do those sorts of things, don't trust those people. That was happening in the first century context of the early church as well. But at the same time, part of what Paul is encouraging Timothy with is saying, listen, money in, its, in and of itself is not necessarily a bad thing. And so you need to teach the church how you're supposed to view money, how you're supposed to use money. And that's what we're going to do today. So what do we learn from this passage about money, about generosity? Number one, humble yourself. Paul encourages Timothy to teach his church to humble themselves. Look at verse 17. As for the rich in this present age... Charge them not to be haughty, not to be prideful, rather that they would be humble. Now, when I read this, what I begin to look at is it's the having versus 
desiring, right? There's the haves and the have-nots typically in our culture. And those, both the haves and the have-nots have desires. And this is what Paul is getting at. Notice at the very beginning of this passage, what does he say? That there are those who are rich in this present age. And he's actually referring to the rich that are a part of the church. So there are wealthy people in this church that Timothy is leading. All that to say, Paul's not saying that wealth or possessing wealth is necessarily wrong. He's simply saying that wealth has this tendency to produce pride and arrogance. Because the more that you have, the more that you think you are self-sufficient. That you can accumulate all of this money, all of this wealth, and you can ultimately take care of yourselves. And Paul is saying, listen, that's not true. Look at what he says just a few verses earlier in 1 Timothy 6, verses 9 and 10. Many of us, whether you're familiar with the Bible or not, you're familiar with what Paul says here. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Here's where we're familiar. Verse 10. For the what? Love of money. Not money itself. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. See, what Paul is getting at is that there is a difference between having money and loving money. When you love money, when you desire money, that becomes the thing that you pursue, and that becomes the thing that you put your hope and trust in. And Paul is simply saying, you cannot do that. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. I really think at the heart of it, he's saying this, when do you want to be rich, in the present or in the eternity? So, Because the thing is, in the present, you can't take that money with you, right? I mean, you've probably heard the saying, you've never seen a U-Haul behind a hearse. Why? You can't take all the riches and all the wealth and all the stuff that you have with you into eternity, but you can be rich in eternity. But it's about desiring the right thing. Proverbs 23, verses 4 through 5. I love the imagery that this proverb gives us. It says, Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, meaning when you see the money, the wealth, the possessions, it is gone. And look at this imagery. For suddenly it sprouts wings flying like an eagle toward heaven. I don't know if you've pulled out your phone lately and you've looked at some of the emojis, but the, the emoji with the dollar bills and money that has wings, that's immediately what I thought about. Like you're, as soon as you see the money, as soon as you see the wealth, as soon as you see the possessions, what the author is saying is it's gone. Because money here and now, wealth here and now, is fleeting. I mean, one of the things that he says in this passage in, verse, in verses 9 and 10 of 1 Timothy is that it's a trap. For those of you that are Star Wars fanatics, you know Admiral Akbar, right? It's a trap, that meme. The thing about a trap is what? You don't see it coming. So the thing about money and the reason Paul says, 
humble yourself is because when you begin to desire money, desire wealth, desire possessions, you become blinded to what that desire is doing in your life. Rather, if you humble yourself, you begin to see the danger that the love of money is, the danger that wealth can be, and then you begin to see where true wealth lies. Right, That the greater need is not about having stuff, not about having possessions, not about feeling comfortable and certain with what you have, but knowing that you have a right relationship with God. Right? I mean, there are people that chase after all of the stuff of this world, and they're still looking. But there's something about being made right with God. There's something about having a right relationship with God. There's something about knowing that when eternity comes, when you die and you're with God, when Christ returns and there's a resurrection, that you're with God. The Bible talks about the gospel. That is the good news, the story of Jesus, that while you and I, while we're broken, sinful people, separated from God, there's a chasm that separates us. Jesus came. He is the Son of God. He is God. He came and put on flesh, became human, lived a perfect, sinless life, died on the cross, not for His sins, but for my sins, for your sins, but didn't stay dead, rose from the grave. And the Bible says that when we repent, repenting is simply changing our mind, turning away from the way that we have been living, when we believe, when we have faith that the death of Jesus on the cross, the resurrection from the grave can save us, and then publicly confess that faith through baptism, going under the water, coming up out of the water. The Bible says when we do those things, we are saved. And part of the reason that Paul is getting at this is that, listen, if you're rich in this present age, don't put your hope in things that will not last. Humble yourself. Humble yourself because your wealth will not last. So we humble ourselves. And if we humble, humble ourselves, that means we don't trust ourselves, but rather, second, we trust God. Look at what he says at the end of verse 17. We'll start at the very beginning. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to do what? nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. But on whom? God. Don't set your hope on your wealth or your riches that you have on earth. Rather, set your hope, trust in God. Why? Because God is the one who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Just a side note. For so many of us, we think God doesn't want us to enjoy life. That he's that killjoy, that he wants us, that like for holiness and joy don't go together. But do you notice what Paul says here? Paul says, God's the one who's provided everything in life for us to enjoy. He's the good giver of gifts. He's the provider. And here what we see is the uncertain versus the certain. We've already talked about it, but wealth is uncertain because it won't last. You can't take it with you. Look at verses 6 through 8 of 1 Timothy chapter 6. Paul says this, Godliness with contentment is great gain. 
For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. That sounds familiar, huh? You've probably heard people say that. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. You don't know how long you're going to live. So you don't know how much wealth you're going to accumulate, and you don't know how long you're going to have that wealth. Because when you die, that uncertainty of when you will die, we will all die, you don't know how much you're going to have, and you cannot take it with you. But here's what is certain, and this is what Paul gets at. God is certain because he's eternal. He will last forever. This wealth that you and I, that we're chasing after, these things, these possessions, this stuff, it won't last. God will last. Think about it like this. Imagine you're trying to escape out of a jungle. And you see two paths forward. One of those paths is a bridge that is, it's a rope bridge and the ropes are fraying. The other is a bridge made out of metal. Which one are you going to trust? The one that looks ominous that you know could break as soon as you step on it or the one that you know that is solid, that will last. It's the same way. Why would we put our hope and our trust in something we know that won't last when we have God. And we can put our hope and trust in Him. So, um, obviously, the question then gets to, how do we trust God with our money? Now, Jesus, I think, spoke specifically to this. In His Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, He's talking to a bunch of people who are, in fact, not wealthy, but poor. I mean, they're literally thinking about where they're going to get their next meal. And what Jesus speaks to in Matthew chapter 6 is about worry. It's about anxiety. And look at what he says at the end of this passage. Matthew 6, verse 33. But seek what? First, the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all of these things will be added to you. These things being the things that you need. Food, water, clothing. So what Jesus is saying is, listen, your number one thing, the way you trust God with your stuff that God has given you is you seek the kingdom of God first. Whether you have a lot or whether you have a little, seek the kingdom of God and God will provide for all of your needs. That's how we trust God. In his book, Redeeming Money, here's what Paul David Tripp says about us and money, and I love the way that he describes this. He says, remember, we're all just a gang of treasure hunters. We're all after what we've named as important. The only thing that distinguishes us is the kind of treasure we live to pursue. That is so true. We are all pursuing something. And what Paul is getting at here is you can pursue God or you can pursue wealth. You can pursue money. And, and what he's trying to get at is like, this is about more than just the tangible money that you hold. It's ultimately about the heart. It's about worship. And so if you are pursuing money, if you are pursuing wealth, if you're pursuing stuff, you are worshiping money. But don't forget, what does Jesus say? What are we to seek first? Money? Stuff? Wealth? Possessions? No. The kingdom of God. We're supposed to seek God first, and then God provides for our needs. 
So we trust God. We trust God because He has all you'll ever need. We trust Him because He has everything we will ever need. So all of that brings us to the result of trusting God, which is what we're talking about. When we trust God, it leads us to, number three, to give generously. Look at verses 18 and 19. Paul says they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Doing what? Thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. I mean, notice what Paul says here. He uses four different words to describe what they should be doing. They're to do good. They're to be rich in good works. They're to be generous. They're to be ready to share. Then what will they do? They will store up for themselves. That very language comes from Jesus, where he tells the disciples, he tells his followers to store up treasure, not on earth, but in heaven. And Paul says, if you want to store up treasure in heaven where something lasts, do good, be generous. It's about living for the now versus living for the eternal. When you live for the now, you focus only on accumulating wealth for yourself. You think about yourself alone. I thought about this passage in James chapter 2. James was writing to the church. And in this church, there were clearly the wealthy and the poor. And they were both following Jesus together. But look at what happens. Here's what James says. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, my beloved brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? which he's promised to those who love him. Living for the now causes you to look out at the people around you and say, that person's rich, that person's poor. I want to be with the rich. It causes you to make distinctions when God never wanted there to be a distinction, especially in his church. So, we live not for the now, but we should live for the eternal. When we live for the eternal, we focus on generously sharing our wealth with others. It's, it's about this. It's about stewardship. When you're a steward, and we've talked about this a lot at Vintage, when you are a steward, you recognize that the things you're stewarding is not yours. It's not your money. It's not your wealth. It's not your stuff. It belongs to someone else. It belongs to God. So we give back to others because it's not ours to begin with. We give, I think, we should give first and foremost to the church because the church 
is the way in which, the primary way in which God is advancing His kingdom in our city, in our state, in our country, and in our world. And here's the incredible thing. This is why I love what God does in His local church. is because we can do more together than we can apart. So we see this need in our community. And I might not be able to meet that need by myself, but when we take all of our resources and we pull our resources together, we're able to take our collective generosity and meet that need. That's the power of being generous. And what we're able to do is we're able to give and meet needs, yes, inside the church, caring for one another, but also outside of the church. Since the moment that I got a job, I remember this vividly. I remember giving back to the local church. And this week, as we were talking about my sermon, I was processing this with my, with my team, and we were talking about this. And, and here's what I said. The reason I give, yes, it's worship. Yes, it's because God owns it, and it's His, and He's just giving it to me to use. But one of the primary reasons I give back to the local church is because I believe in the local church. I believe that the local church is the primary way God is advancing his kingdom in our world. And so I give back. What I receive from Vintage Church is a part of my pay. I give a portion of that back to Vintage Church for the work of the ministry that God has called us to. We give back generously. That's what we should be doing. We think less about ourselves and more about others. For me, just a few years ago, I started to think about this personally. For the longest time, uh, my, my wife and I, we never did any sort of life insurance. And I started to process this and just think about the fact that there's probably going to come a day when my wife and my kids are going to be without me. And God forbid they're not able to care for themselves because I've been stingy and thinking I don't need life insurance or I can't afford that right now. Generosity works the same way. We should be thinking about others. How can we love? How can we encourage? How can we support others with the stuff and the things that God has given us? Now, here's a question that I think maybe many of us are thinking about. What if you're poor? Paul is obviously here talking to the wealthy. He's talking to the rich in this present age. But what if you don't have anything? I want to point you to two passages that I think speak to this. Number one, 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 3. Here's another letter that Paul wrote about money. He says this, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that's been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, things are not good, their abundance of joy and their what? Extreme wealth? No. Extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. Paul is saying, listen, here's a church, they're afflicted, and they're impoverished. But they recognize part of the DNA, part of the culture, part of the values of being the church of Jesus Christ 
is practicing and living out generosity. And so out of their poverty, they were generous. Look at Luke chapter 21. This is a story that Jesus shares. He says, it says, Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins, literally like two cents. And, and he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. See, what Jesus is getting at is he's getting at the motive. He's getting at why we give. We're not generous because we want to be seen. We're not generous because we want to be more wealthy. We're generous because we want to extend the love of God. And in the same way, I know in our minds, it's difficult to wrap our minds around the reality that God can take a small amount of money and do more with it than he can a large amount of money. But in the kingdom of God, that's the way it works. And so we talk about this all the time. It's not about equal giving. It's about equal sacrifice. So my generosity, my amount of generosity might look different than yours, but it could still be generosity. The point is that we're being generous with what God is giving us. We give generously because we're living for the eternal. We're recognizing that there's something more than what we see before our eyes. So let's think about this practically. I want to encourage you, if you have that guidebook, to turn to pages 28 and 29. In the back of this book, you will notice a ton of practice. And the questions that I'm getting ready to ask you are on page 28. And then on page 29 is a generosity streak tracker. Now, we just put a weekly thing. And so maybe you're thinking weekly, maybe you're thinking monthly, maybe you want to adjust it and think about it daily. How can you be generous in different ways every single day? But I want to help you cultivate the habit of generosity because generosity is a habit. It's like anything else. If you're not going to do the work, then you're not going to be generous. You have to do the work to cultivate the habit. So number one, how do we cultivate the habit of generosity? You have to assess your priorities. What matters to you? We've already talked about wealth, and we've talked about poverty. We've talked about the now versus the eternal. As you reflect on your life, what are your priorities? And my challenge to you, as we've just looked, is to prioritize the eternal more than the now prioritizing generosity more than hoarding. So assess your priorities. Number two, for many of us, we've got to get practical and we've got to change our spending habits. If we have been living our, out of one particular budget and we want to be generous, we're going to have to cut somewhere else. So look at your budget. If you've never created a budget, start there. Create a budget. And begin to look at where you can cut. What can you trim back? Maybe it's that coffee that you have two or three times a week. Maybe it's eating out once a week. Maybe it's the cable that you never watch. Cut it out and take those funds and begin to be generous with it. 
Number three, determine how much you will give. You're going to see on the screen a generosity ladder. We've been talking about a generosity ladder for, I think, over five years now. And it's such a helpful tool in thinking about taking steps. So just follow me with this ladder. At the bottom of the ladder is the first-time giver. This is somebody who's never given to the local church before. And they're just simply taking a step and they're beginning to give. They're making a gift. The second is an occasional giver. So you give more than once in your life, but you typically only give when you see a need. We tell you, hey, we need this, and you'll write a check, or you'll give cash, or you'll make a donation, right? And that, that's great. From the occasional giver comes the intentional giver. And this is where you say, listen, I'm going to give on a regular, consistent basis X percentage. So maybe you were only giving, you know, like once every four or five months, you know, $100 here, $100 there. Now you're going to say, every month I'm going to give 4% of my income back to the local church. That's a great step. Then comes the faithful giver, where you're saying every month I'm giving at least 10% of my income back to the local church. At the very top of the ladder is the extravagant giver. This is a person that gives above and beyond 10%. Now here's the thing about the ladder. What the ladder helps you and I do is it helps us plan our generosity. I don't expect every single person to be an extravagant giver when you've never given anything before. You just have to get on the ladder. But maybe you've been an occasional giver, and I'm encouraging you, I think God is encouraging you to step your generosity up. So what that means is, it says, listen, I'm going to start giving 3% every month. And the encouragement is to keep working on your generosity every year. Every time you get a pay raise, right? Think about what am I going to give? How much am I going to give? So determine how much you'll give. Number four, schedule how often you give. Are you going to give weekly? Are you going to give bi-weekly? Are you going to give monthly? Think about that. Number five, give from a heart of worship every time. Whether you give and you drop your check in when you're here, or whether you give online or you text to give, anytime you give, remember that your giving is an act of worship. Because what you are doing is you're taking what God has already given you and you're giving it back to Him. It's an act of worship. Lastly, plan to become more generous. I know this is hard for you and I to fathom, maybe in our phase of life right now, but I really do believe that one of the things that God wants us to do is He's wanting us to constantly cultivate generosity in our life. And so challenge yourself. What would it look like for you to become incrementally more generous every year of your life? And yeah, we've been talking about giving back to the local church, and yes, I think that's where it starts, but how can you be more generous with that friend? How can you be more generous with that stranger you just met? How can you be more generous with your time, with your possessions, with your house, with your energy, with your car, with your stuff? How can you be more generous and cultivate that spiritual habit of generosity? See, here's the thing. Generosity for me is a value of the kingdom of God. 
Yes, it's about supporting the local church. Yes, it's about supporting the ministry of the local church. But I think Jesus not only taught, not only modeled, but embodied generosity. He became poor for our sake. That's what Paul says. So that we would become rich. And so if there's any group of people on the face of the planet that should be generous, it is the Christian church. Everything belongs to God. We are simply his managers, his stewards of everything that he has given us. And so when he gives us those things, we give back. We practice generosity. We love God by worshiping him through giving, and we love people by providing and supporting for their needs. So my encouragement for you as you think about generosity is how will you cultivate this spiritual habit? You have to cultivate it. Generosity is not going to happen on your own. It's not going to happen by accident. How will you be able to say in a year from now, I am a more generous person than I was a year ago? Generosity is a spiritual habit. May Vintage Church cultivate that habit and may we grow in our generosity like never before let's pray father we love you we thank you so much for loving us we thank you father that you have demonstrated your generosity to us by sending your son jesus to die for our sins to rise from the grave to reconcile us to you and give us new life God, we thank you that you involve us in your mission. That because of the church, God, we get to be a part of the kingdom of God. We get to be a part of your work. And so, Father, I pray for us, God, as we respond, that you would cultivate within us hearts of generosity. Help us to be the most generous people that our friends and our family and strangers know. Because we've experienced your generosity First. Again, thank you for loving us. We ask all of this in Jesus' name.